Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Deeper Podcast. I'm Doug Taylor, and I'm joined today by Pastor Jesse Ryder of Crossroads Community Church. We have campuses in Mansfield, Ohio, and in Shelby, Ohio. And on this 15-minute podcast, it's our goal to help you go deeper in God's Word and to grow deeper in life application. Jesse, as you know, we're in this podcast series about the book of Jonah, and and we have been journeying through Jonah, a section by section, and today we're up to chapter three, and we're gonna kinda be looking at the first 10 verses in Jonah chapter three, and this is where um, he's Jonah is taking a turn to change. So we're gonna see some big change now, uh, stuff that's going on. And we'll do a little recap of where we are in this book of the Bible, but my first question for you is, when was the, when was the last uh, thing you had to run from, or what was the last thing you had to run from? And you see the correlation, Jonah was running from God, you know, from what God wanted him to do, he was running, but I'm asking you, it could be, it could be anything. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great question. I, you know, I don't know if it's the last thing. I know when I was a student ministry pastor, I was leading a summer camp. And it was late at night and people were supposed to be heading to bed. So I'm just kind of doing the rounds, making sure everybody is, is where they need to be. And I've got, I've got a, little, a little phone light uh, just out and just kind of just, just watching where I'm going. And you know, just, you know, it's, it's kind of winding down. I'm getting kind of tired. It's been a couple of days of it. And you know, it's just starting to drag on a little bit. I'm, I'm ready for bed. I remember just walking with this, this flashlight out and just kind of like casually looking down. And I just see eyes. I thought, <laughs> oh... This is this this story can't end well, right? There's, there's never good to just have eyes, eyes looking, looking at, you. at you. And so the, I could just see the eyes, so I just kind of shine my light, and then I could see like the, this black figure, but then I could see this like white stripe going down the black figure, and I thought, ah, oh, is that a real skunk? And like, and it is, it is like a yard away from me. And so it, it's one of those moments. It's like it, it's it's fight or flight. And I'm like, well, I'm certainly not going to fight a skunk in the middle of the night. And so I just I just turn and I just run. And I can remember passing kids. And I don't know if the skunk chased me. I don't know if it stood there. I don't know what happened. I just know that I ran. And I just yelled at the kids like, "It's time for bed. Let's go!" And I'm running, and they're kind of freaking out because I'm running away from them. So they start running. And so I just run into a building, shut the door, and I even locked the door oh just Lord. in case the skunk was going to open the door. Not. <laughs> That is hilarious. And skunks are scary. Right, especially when uh, it's dark and late at night. I I was not going to share this, but I think we have to stay on a skunk theme Oh, go for it, yeah. So my wife and I, not too long ago, were taking a walk, and... um, in our neighborhood and we're coming by a wooded area we're holding hands just taking a leisurely walk and a skunk comes out and it's maybe four feet from me and i just let go of her hand and i take off running and she doesn't see the skunk she just sees me take tear it off and she's like you just left me with this skunk." and i didn't do it on purpose it just i saw that skunk and i just boo took off running left my wife right there i'm like hey you're on your own (laughs) i'm not getting sprayed so luckily she didn't get Sprayed. Chivalry is not dead in the Taylor house. Chivalry is not, is not dead. <laughs> um, so Jonah, he gets vomited onto dry land. <clears throat> I, I kind of love that term in our in our Bible. He just he's on dry land now. And the Bible says the word of the Lord came to him a second time. His attitude certainly changed as he was in that belly of that big fish, you know, and got and got vomited out. Can you share with us three aspects 
of God's grace? Yeah, I certainly can. But can we can we stop for a second? I, I am a visual. Like when I hear <laughs> stories, I, I picture them in my mind. I kind of think what that would look like. This story to me of Jonah being in, yeah. in this fish is just amazing to me because I think there are so many things I have questions about just in terms of like the practical side of things, eating, sleeping. And he's in there for a long period of time. You know. You and I ran from skunks. Right. He's in the belly, in of, the a belly of a fish. You know, what, does he have Wi-Fi in there? Right. What, what, what would it be like? But then there's the, the idea of that he was vomited on the dry land. And I, I think the word is, is intentional. I think it paints this picture of that that's not a clean process, right? right? Could you imagine just kind of being, you're excited because you, you, you know you're going to do what you need to do, but also you're covered in fish vomit. And I just, what, if you were a bystander, if you're just walking by, you just happen to be near the area where, where Jonah got spit out and you saw that, that is strange to see. A lot of people I know are sympathetic vomiters. They might be vomiting oh, no. you know, with that. The obviously. scene that could be around here. Is, <laughs> all right. So the question was three aspects yes. of God's grace. And I think there, there's really three things. As we look through the story of Jonah, you can really three, see three aspects of God's grace. The first one is that you can see that God offers second chances. If you study the text and you go back to chapter one, you can see that what God asked is the same thing that God asked in chapter three. God did not change his message. It was, it was the same thing. And so he just gave Jonah this, this another opportunity to kind of, are you willing to do this now? Are you ready to do this now? The second thing we see is that God does not negotiate. Throughout scripture, we see words like all and asking for a whole or complete. And so we see that God is not looking to, to negotiate with Jonah. The message did not change. He didn't make it a little bit simpler, a little bit easier. God doesn't negotiate. And then third, we see that God does not give up. Right? And, and so for us, there. We can, we can take comfort in that. Some of that's overwhelming to think about, you know, that God doesn't negotiate and, and God offers second chances, but, but that God doesn't give up. There's comfort in that. And that should give us hope and just promise of, of, of what is to come. I think so as we study, certainly as we look at Jonah and Nineveh, there's also an important aspect that we realize characteristics of God through this story. Yeah, and that, as you were describing that, it kind of it kind of made me think of parenting. Those are something you know. God, God is our heavenly Father, mm. and that's what He does to us. And and I think that sometimes those of us that have kids, that's what we're trying to do with with our kids as well. Um, certainly, He showed grace uh, to Jonah. How about Nineveh? How did Nineveh change? You know, if you study Nineveh at all, you see it is a very interesting culture. Uh, the military background of Nineveh is. It sounds it's almost museum worthy. You can kind of go throughout throughout the world. And there's there's pictures and kind of uh, just illustrations of what the military did and some of the mm. stories and some of the way they tortured people, some of the way they celebrated their victories. So we know that the the military portion of Nineveh is just very grotesque, very brutal, but it, it was really just very selfish. It was a very prideful culture. And what's interesting as you study Nineveh, it, you look at the king and. You don't know what, really where the king was coming from or what he was wrestling with, but he heard that message and it, it convinced him, right? Right away he heard yeah. and then just changed the culture of the community, just said, this is what we're doing. I think, you know, I, I wrestle with, wow, what, what was the king wrestling with? And if, if he was so convicted by this, you know, that his immediate reaction was, I agree, we need to do it and we're stopping anything around it that's temptation. And so I think for us, there's a great lesson in that, yeah. right? So we don't know the king's heart. We don't know his status. We do know he saw what was going on and then realized we need to get rid of the temptations around us. I think, and that, that's kind of this theme as, as he's going into Nineveh, as Jonah's going to Nineveh. You know, there's all these temptations for Jonah uh, to, to not do what he needs to do. But the same thing is true for us. 
You know, so as, as we look at temptations, so often we let them linger, we let them sit there. And, and if you study, it, it, the Bible will say to, to flee or to get rid of them or to kill them. And, and scientifically, if you don't do that, the, it, science will prove that there, there are brain chemicals that are released that kind of leads things to become addictions. And so that when you don't kill them or get rid of them, then, then you get stuck and then you kind of get in, in this addictive phase. I think there's a real danger in that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we have to mortify sin. We have to we have to kill it, and then we have to replace it. I s- certainly certainly see that. And in this text, what what did Nineveh do? I, as you read in Jonah three, they they fasted and they put on sackcloth and ashes. What, we don't do that in our culture. What was that? What was sackcloth and ashes? So in, in this culture, it was very very common for if you went through some sort of internal change that you would express it uh, externally. So sackcloth and ashes were usually kind of a representation of death. Uh, So you would put it on if you were mourning the death of someone or grieving. Uh, But in this case, it was kind of death to sin. Uh, They they just, they they realized kind of where they were as a culture, as a community, and they wanted to kind of kill sin there. So it was kind of a confession of sin. It was a representation of kind of this internal change that they were going through. Does God change his mind? We, we're talking about change, and we see this in, in you know, this, this biblical story. Can you explain this to us, how God changes his sure. mind? Sure. So we, we see throughout Scripture that God is, is not going to change. His character will never change. But what we do see is that God will often relent. Uh, in Jeremiah, he talks about, you know, if, if there is a land that he has promised destruction to uh, that repents and kind of flees from their sin, then he will relent. But he also says the opposite, that if there's a land that he has kind of promised welfare to, then if they become self-centered and stuck in sin and lose focus, then, then they will be destroyed or be punished. And so it's not so much God changing as it is God relenting of what may or may not happen. And so I wouldn't say God changes his mind. I, I think it's bigger than that. It's, mm-hmm. it's hard for us to comprehend. It's not God changing his mind because God is sovereign. So God knows everything. So we may see different responses to things. We may see God relenting to man changing his mind or man changing its focus. But I would say God is not going to God is not going to change his mind. Right. And certainly prayer, uh, prayer can change things here, here on this earth. So it was interesting to see that Noah changed his attitude. Nineveh changed when, when they heard the message. And then certainly we see that, that things are changing as far as God's um, punishment that was going to come on that city. Um, we know that the answer to our sin is repentance. Uh, and uh, that, that's the, one of the application points from this story, that Nineveh repented. But what is repentance? Yeah, I, I think we often have a skewed view of repentance. You know, going back to the, the parenting analogy, I think in parents, I, in parenting, I, I've often asked for like a forced apology. You know, when, when a child has done something wrong, I say, hey, you, you need to apologize. And you kind of get this like half-hearted apology of like, oh, sorry. And, you know, they kind of mumble it. And you're not even sure if they actually said words or not. And so I, I think there's, there's that idea of repentance that as long as you just kind of acknowledge it, it's okay. That you've acknowledged you've done something wrong. But repentance is really more than acknowledgement. It's the idea that you need to turn from sin. Right? You need to, you need to turn away from it. And not... And this, this is what happens in the parenting world. That, you know, they, they do that half-hearted apology. <laughs> but then they do the same thing again. That's not repentance. That was just kind of a forced apology, This them using words. And so I think for us, what, what's true repentance is certainly forgiveness is a part of that. But, it, but it's, it's honest forgiveness. It's forgiveness with the intent not to do it again. 
And so in reference to sin, it's why it talks about fleeing from sin, killing sin, getting rid of sin. And so repentance involves the removal of sin. In order to remove sin, you have to have the right attitude about sin. So often we'll, we'll try and justify sin. We try and make it seem like it's, it's right or it's not bad. Or we, we put like quantitative measures on it. Like, well, I've not done it that much or it's not that big. And I, I think it's important. to Sin is sin. And, and so if it is sin, we need to get rid of it. And then true repentance is, is getting rid of sin, seeking forgiveness, and then making, taking steps to not do that again. As we look at uh, in the New Testament, in 2 Timothy 22, um, it says we need to run to these things. What things does it want us to run to? We talked about we have to kill the sin and then we have to kind of replace it. But what do we run to? Well, it's really two parts. It's you're running from something and running to something. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So it's really a two-part race, right? You're right. running from something, but you're also running to something. We are fleeing the evil desires of youth, those sinful things we've talked about. You're running from those, but it's not just this aimless run. You're running with a purpose towards righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And so those things are, are great to... It's easy to sit in this setting and talk about how to run to those things. But practically, what do you think that looks like practically? When you're running from something to something else? Yes, yeah. Yes. So let's just take uh, looking at images on the, your computer sure. or looking at images on a phone. That is a huge struggle with uh, students in this generation. It's, it's one thing to run from that, but you're also running to something. Sure. Are you spending time in God's word? Are you involved in youth group? Are you going to church? Are you filling your mind with righteous things at the same time using some tools like Covenant Eyes or any of the blocker software and getting accountability partner to be able to do that so yes you're you're certainly stopping the behavior that you know is bad for you and is sinful but you're also taking positive steps to move towards god in righteousness right i think what's interesting if you keep going in second timothy in verse 23 it says don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels and it says then lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but must be kind to everyone able to teach and not resentful I think, I think there's great value in learning. And, and throughout 2 Timothy, it kind of gives this comparison of, of don't do this and do this. And it, it's not a list of like, codes or commands, but it's really a, it's about the heart, yeah. right? This, and this is why we would, do, we would pursue these things because it's about the heart. You know, I, I think that that's key for us to understand is it's not a list of like do's and don'ts. It's a list of here's what we want your heart to look like. Yeah, and I think that's why it's important to run to those things because those things are, are pure and beautiful and lovely and they're, they're praiseworthy and they're going to help you in your future, right? They're good, positive things. So when you can surround yourself by people and things that, that are tracking with the Lord, that are kind of a school of fish going in the same direction, and if we can get our life to line up with positive things that God would like, we can start getting ourselves moving in the right direction. But what is sin? do sin takes us into isolation takes us by ourselves, and then we become depressed and then we try to stop that sin on our own and you know we see that in the picture of Jonah where he wanted to hide and run and go the other direction but until he changed his heart and his attitude and then went after righteousness and obeyed God then he got to see God you know blessing him and then and eventually changing Nineveh sure. and moving forward 
So as we close, we just want you to know it's our prayer that God would lead you out of situations and temptations and habits that do not produce righteousness and that you listen to what God is saying and you do what he says.